Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio. I'm Darren Hefty. And I'm Brian Hefty. Thanks for joining us today. Well, today on the show, we're going to veer off from crop production a little bit and talk about shelter belt management. If you have a farm, odds are high. You also have a shelter belt or maybe several. So we're going to talk about how to make your trees as good as they can be today and make that shelter belt um, a value for your property overall. If you've got any questions for us on that or anything that's going on in your farm, our number here is 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743. Or you can send us an email, radio at agphd.com. We're going to get to the Ag PhD mailbag in just a minute. Before we do, I'll give you a couple of quick things on shelter belt management. Here are probably, well, here's my number one thing I would say. Potassium. You've got to have high levels of potassium. And we see it all the time where people hear things or say things like, well, just you know, plant your trees wherever and they'll grow eventually and it'll be fine. No, no, no. Treat your trees like they're a crop. And here's the other thing I want you to think about. So I'm going to ask you to spend an exorbitant amount of money on potassium here. But before I do, let me say this. You probably only have trees on one, two, five acres. It's no big deal. It's not like you have 5,000 acres that I'm asking you to put a crazy amount of potassium on. But what I want you to shoot for is 7 or 8% base saturation potassium, even in a heavy soil. And you're going to say, oh my goodness, Brian, you want me to... Sp- to put 1,000 pounds of potash or 1,500 pounds of potash out there if I'm at a 2 right now and you want me to take it to a 7 or 8? Yes, I do. You're not going to spend that many total dollars. And think about it this way. This is something that's kind of your legacy. So my dad planted a whole bunch of trees when he was alive, and now I'm reaping the rewards of that. And it's going to be the same thing for me and potentially my kids or whoever has that ground. So these trees can absolutely last 50 or 100 years. But just like your crops, they need to get off to a good start. So potassium is absolutely number one. The other thing that I would say is do a complete soil test first and use small grids. So if you got five acres you're going to do trees on, soil test every one acre at least on that. Again, I'm not asking you to spend many total dollars or put that much time into it, but if you just spend a little bit of time out front and see what you need, you're in a lot better shape. So point number two for me as we start today is some trees are going to need different conditions to thrive as opposed to other trees, especially like in regards to pH. What we find with pine trees in general is they like a lower pH. So if you have high pH soil, sure, the trees will grow out there and they'll do okay, but they can do so much better if you just make a few modifications to that soil. For example, we've used a little bit of acid. Uh, I'm trying to think of what acid it was. Muric acid maybe uh, when we were planting pine trees yeah evergreens and you could also go out there with sulfur elemental sulfur maybe even ammonium sulfate just there are certainly some things that can be done there so anyway throughout the show today we'll talk about weeds insects diseases fertility 
everything you need for good shelter belt management. But right now, let's get to the Ag PhD mailbag. It's now mailbag time with Brian and Darren. All right, Brian, got a question from Doug, and he said, why not plant a shorter soybean than apply PGRs? Are PGRs only useful in the southern soybean production? Was there also a second question that he had? His other one was green beans on the edge of the field. I've heard from an extension agent several years back that it was normally insect uh, bites that are infecting the plants along road edges. Yeah, last week we had this question come in about green beans and why is the outside row of the soybean field greener? And I threw out a few things that I kind of thought. Is it possible it could be insects? Yes, that is one of the things that I mentioned. Uh, so in terms of this PGR and planting an earlier day crop, could you do that? Well, yes, you can, but still, there's only so much you can do to keep, once you've fully kept that plant alive, it's not prematurely dying, and you're raising a 1.0 soybean in a 2.0 maturity area where you could raise a 2.0 bean, you're not going to make that plant grow an extra month with PGRs, at least in my experience. So you still want to have something that's relatively close to the right maturity range. All right, let's head to the phone lines here. we got Jim with us right now, wondering about fall herbicide application. Jim, how are you doing? Well, not doing too good right now. Everything's a little wet around here. We're just kind of setting still. You know what? It's not a bad deal to have a little bit of a break in the middle of harvest, though, for a couple days anyway. We've been having too many breaks. Too many. All right, so what are you thinking about with uh, with the corn stubble out there? You want to put something on ahead of beans? Are you targeting water hemp or pigweed, or what are you after? Uh, mare's, mare's tail, tail. lamb's quarters. <laughs> I was going to say, Jim, uh, in Ohio, mare's tail is usually about number one. So what were you yep. thinking of using? You're just looking for our suggestions. I, I've been I've been using Valor XLT. Yep. It seems to be working pretty good. Many years ago, I used Canopy yep. EX, yep. and that took out some volunteer corn. Yep. So which would you, uh, I just want to talk to some experts here, tell me what I should use. <laughs> okay, so when you start talking with that Valor XLT and your old Canopy that you had, our concern gets to be there's Classic in there. Classic is uh, sulfonylurea herbicide. It's in that ALS chemical family. And there are a lot of ALS-resistant weeds, including probably almost all of your mare's tail and maybe possibly a little bit of your lamb's quarters. So I'm just trying to say that classic that's in there isn't going to help you a lot on that. On the volunteer corn, yes, it will help kill that. But here's my concern. That rate of classic is so high, it can potentially carry over another whole year and hurt the corn crop. So that gets to be our fear. It's not a you know super big concern where you're at if you have low pH soil and lots of rain, but that's the reason why we don't typically recommend that. So usually what we talk about in the fall is Valor all by itself at a really high rate, maybe four ounces or so. If you want to talk more about that, Jim, just hang on. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Are you combining around weed patches, waiting for weeds to dry down, or tired of spring burndown failures? Save time, nutrients, and moisture by including a Valor herbicide brand in your fall burndown program. Valor provides excellent residual control of tough weeds, including kochia, mare's tail, prickly lettuce, dandelion, plus suppression of bromes. Proactive, effective weed resistance management starts in the fall. Get a clean start for your next season with Valor Herbicide Brands. Always read and follow label directions. 
Your schedule can change by the minute, making it hard to stay on top of the latest agronomy information. But at Ag PhD, we have some good news for you. If you miss an episode of Ag PhD TV or radio, you can catch up at agphd.com. With years of valuable content and latest episodes available to stream for free, you can continue building your agronomic knowledge on any schedule. While you're there, don't forget to check for upcoming Ag PhD events and workshops. Watch, listen, and learn at agphd.com. Boost your productivity and profitability with Soil Warrior from environmental tillage systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and your yield potential in just one strip-till pass. Now that's ROI. Contact us today at SoilWarrior.com. Get an extra semi-load out of your grain bin. The Enzone from Farm Shop MFG can increase your stored beans moisture from 10 to 13%. On a 20,000 bushel bin, that's a free extra semi-load. Visit FarmShopMFG.com for more. We now bring you an important news bulletin. This just in from Live Action News. Innovation has come to the world of burndown. New Elevore herbicide controls your toughest weeds, even glyphosate and ALS-resistant weeds like mare's tail and henbit. Talk with your retailer about Elevore herbicide today and ask how you can start elevating your burndown. Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. I am Brian Hefty along with my brother Darren. We're live in the Morton studio today, just taking your calls and questions and talking a little bit about shelter belt management as well. So right before our break, Jim from Ohio called in and asked what to do in the fall right now when he's going to try to get under control mare's tail and lamb's quarters. This is out in Ohio. And he's going to be planting soybeans in the spring. So, Jim, I just said, if it's me, I'm probably just running straight valor. But here's the other thing that we've done with really good success on mare's tail in the fall, Banville. Now, you could use 2,4-D if you wanted to, but Banville's my my preference if you're going to extend beans. If you're going to go to enlist beans, then I'd go with with 2,4-D. So here's what we've done in the past on our own farm. We've gone with a full quart to Banville. And I know it's expensive, but... Not only are you going to kill everything that's up, which Valor is only okay at, you're going to kill everything that's up, plus you're going to leave a bunch of residual with that dicamba in the soil. So I realize that people anymore have been really worried about dicamba and drift and volatility and all this stuff, but when you're spraying in the fall, then you don't have all those fears. So that would be my preference. If it was me, I would probably just do Valor, but if I saw a bunch of mare's tail already starting, I would throw some Banville or 2,4-D in. I'd just make sure I'm using a high rate. So if you do those things, and yes, it's going to cost some money, but then that should wipe out most of the mare's tail and lamb's quarters going into the spring. So that th- those would be my suggestions. Yeah, there's a lot okay, of... Okay, just Valor and yep, Banville. I, yep, that's that's what I would do if it was me. Maybe it's a broad spectrum product or broad spectrum mix too, Jim. It's going to kill pretty much all the broadleaves yep, out there. Basically, right? every broadleaf that you've got on the well, farm, it's dead. Well, clo- I want to be to killing them in the, in the spring, not in yep. you know in the fall. Exactly, and that's where I this say will stay there and do yep. that in the spring. Yes. So the Valor, especially if you're running four ounces, that'll stay all the way in through the spring and give you really good activity. Now. 
in the spring, am I still going to do something to, in effect, then extend the residual on things like water hemp and even lamb's quarters to some degree and a bunch of other weeds for later in the year? Yeah, I probably am. I mean, my recommendation would be if you did all that valor in the fall, I'd probably still do a little bit of metribuzin and, and a yellow in the spring, like a prowl or trifluralin or something like that. Uh, chances are you're running, you must be running no-till So um, if you got mare's tail problems. So we're probably talking prowl and metribuzin in the spring to kind of finish things off and give you a residual through the summer. But yeah, this will carry you absolutely through your early spring months. So the Valor's got lots of residual. The Banville only has some residual, but the Banville's going to burn everything down now and leave some good residual in that soil for anything that's emerging yet this fall and a little bit even into the spring. Hmm. Okay. Yep. Okay. So that's what I would do. I just want to, there's a... About 30 miles north of me, they're having trouble with tar spot in their corn. They said, yep. knocking like 60 bushel an acre off. Yep. We, corn. yep. We, uh, and, and thanks for that. We keep hearing that all over in your region of the country, Michigan, Wisconsin, Illinois, Indiana. I just had a call last week, um, and a guy, well, actually, we had one yesterday too, that was, I think the guy said 50 to 70 bushels difference. I mean, it was yeah. unbelievable. So I, I will say, though, I, when we were talking to one of the farmers last week about what worked for him on his farm against his tar spot, he said, where I started early, that made a lot of difference. He was spraying a V10. So we start early. And then if I, I hate to say this, but with tar spot, it is that bad in a lot of cases. You got to spray it V8 to V10, something like that in corn. And then you got to come back at R1 or R2 and hit it a second time. So I know that kind of stinks and it is some money, but yeah, this tar spot, it is unfortunately really, really bad for a lot of people. And it seems to keep spreading. Last, I'd say two years ago, we probably got three total calls all fall on tar spot. We've had three calls like in three days now on tar spot, if that gives you any idea how much more this is spreading. Yeah, I was, I was surprised to hear yeah, 30 miles away ain't very far away. <laughs> uh, no, <laughs> no, that's for sure. All right. Well, hey, Jim, thanks for the call today. Really appreciate it. Okay. Bye. All right. On today's show, we're, we're going to focus on shelter belt management as well as taking your calls and questions. Again, our phone lines are open 844-44-AG-PHD if you have a question. Real happy to have Liz Smith with us right now from NDSU, North Dakota State University. For those of you in the South, talk a little bit about what's going on up there. You don't often think about North Dakota as having a bunch of forest ground, but there certainly are trees and a lot of shelter belts as you head across the state. Liz, thanks for joining us. It's great to be here. All right. Let's talk about those shelter belts because when I, I know we talk to folks about North Dakota and they think it's so far north and I remind them that's still south of Canada and there's quite a few trees up in Canada. So are, are there some species that do really well in shelter belts in North Dakota and then are there some that you see getting pushed into North Dakota that, that really shouldn't be there? Oh, that's a great question. And you're absolutely right. People don't think of North Dakota as being forested. But uh, actually, fully half of our forest is shelter belts. And these are small, I guess, acreages, you know, maybe two to five acres linear plantings that protect our farmsteads, our livestock operations, our roads, um, and our fields. And uh, yeah, there's um, quite a variety of species that actually work well in our shelter belts. 
And it's um, a highly variable, of course, from one side of the state to the other. So we always encourage folks thinking about planting a shelter belt um, to do some uh, research on uh, their particular site and, and what their site can support. And uh, uh, absolutely, we are seeing uh, some species that have worked well in places like South Dakota have um, uh, started to be used a little bit more in North Dakota as well. Yeah, I think it's good to do your research when you're you're going to plant something that's going to last so long. I mean, so many of these shelter belts have been out there for many, many, many years and have done just a great job, as you mentioned. You've got some pretty unforgiving weather at times in North Dakota, and the shelter belts <laughs> around uh, many of these acreages and farm places have been very, very helpful. So when you think about this, um, I, I just look at the energy and, and everything else. I know for for around our own farm, we've got a, a shelter belt that's really been useful for just reducing some of the bills when it comes to, to heating and even cooling. Absolutely. If a, a well-designed, well-maintained farmstead shelter belt can definitely improve your home's energy efficiency, it can improve um, the energy efficiency of barns and outbuildings. And it can also uh, make a snowdrift land in particular places and potentially not land in undesirable places uh, so we can reduce the needs, uh, excuse me, the fuel costs for um, removing snow. You know, one of the things, Liz, that we've had questions on, and snow would be welcome this year because there are a lot of areas that are awfully dry. And I really worry about trees when we've got drought and when you can dig a, a six or eight foot hole and it's still dry all the way down. That doesn't bode well for our trees heading into the winter. What do you recommend for, for people and just caring for their trees through these tough, dry conditions? Oh, that is a great observation. This drought this last year has been tough on our shelter belts. And, um, you know, most of the shelter belts in North Dakota are planted on land that did not have forest on it originally. So these soils are really more suited to um, grass crops historically. So that is a challenge for trees. And uh, it, it would be really difficult to water a mature shelter belt. The, the sheer volume of water that that would require would be pretty impossible. But for a young windbreak, uh, you know, maybe 10 years of age or younger, adding some supplemental water um, throughout the growing season, but even growing into the fall can really be beneficial for those trees. But um, I always encourage folks to, you know, um, pick species that are, are well suited to your site with the help of your soil conservation district, because a well-adapted, well-suited species can, can withstand, you know, some of these tougher droughty conditions. Yeah, it is, it is a challenge. We, we certainly saw it with areas that got dry last year. We saw, boy, just a lot of issues with some of the trees heading into 2021. And for 2022, it, it could certainly be a challenge, especially if you've had extended drought in your area. Great words of wisdom. Liz Smith with North Dakota State University. Liz, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on. You bet. Thank you. We're going to talk about shelter belt management on our show today. Also taking your calls and agronomic questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. We'll be right back. Heat, drought, wind, hail, northern corn leaf blight, gray leaf spot. If your corn is under stress, you are too. Get Veltima fungicide, swift activity with fast payback. 
an expanded application window. <sighs> Makes life simple, and it's the secure choice with powerful residual for visibly healthier corn. Swift, simple, secure. Veltima fungicide. Call your BASF rep today. Always read and follow label directions. Veltima fungicide is not registered in all states. Every week for more than two decades, AgPhD TV has provided agronomic information to make your farm more productive and profitable. In each episode, we discuss a wide range of topics covering everything from crop fertility, promoting soil health, improving the environment, pest control, and more. All designed to help you push your farm to higher yield goals and more profitability. Be sure to catch us on Tuesdays and Saturdays on RFD TV. Check your local listings or visit agphd.com to learn more. Do you have crop failures due to flooding, drought, or another event? You may need to consider a better burndown regimen. Adding just two ounces of New Farm Panther SC to your tank mix not only provides faster results, it provides residual that lasts. You gain flexibility to keep your cropping options open. Ask your dealer for Panther SC and get Panther power in your tank. Fill once, plant all day. The Thrive 3D application system from FMC is a revolutionary in-furrow crop protection platform that plants up to 480 acres between refills. The Thrive 3D application system mounts to most major planter brands and can be yours at no cost with the FMC Freedom Pass program. To learn more, call 815-362-7747 today. Always read and follow all label directions. Ag PhD has one mission, give you the knowledge you need to make your farm more successful. That's why every issue of the Ag PhD Insider Magazine features crop fertility and pest management tips, insights into the world's highest yielding farmers, updates and results from our infield research trials, as well as the latest agronomy information from Brian and Darren Hefty. We put it all in one place so you can make your farm more productive and profitable. Subscribe to the Ag PhD Insider at agphdinsider.com. Introducing Kyber Soybean Herbicide from Corteva AgriScience, the newest Premium Group 15 pre-emergent solution. Kyber delivers three effective modes of action for long-lasting residual activity, meaning your fields won't just be clean, they'll be Kyber clean. And what is Kyber clean? Well, it's a little like... Nice fields! See the difference at kyberherbicide.com soy. That's K-Y-B-E-R herbicide.com soy. listening to Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us today. We're talking about shelter belt management and also taking your calls and agronomic questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. And you can always email us radio at agphd.com. Happy to have Peter Kolb on with us right now out of Montana State University. Peter, thanks for joining us. Oh, my pleasure. All right, we're talking about shelter belt management, and and obviously different trees require a little bit different management. And and one of the questions we get a lot is, what about scouting? We we talk about it in our crops that boy, it's important to to keep scouting, keep your eyes on things. What about in shelter belts and forests? How often do we need to be checking things out there on our trees? Um, all the time, uh, depending on. I mean, in the winter is probably uh, the the be- best downtime, but even then. Um, different seasons bring with them different pests and different challenges. 
um, and uh, different times to do things such as weed control or specific uh, pest management practices. All right, talk to us. You said different seasons bring different pests. And I think about that as we head into this fall season that, man, if we have a problem in the fall and we know we've got winter coming that is already putting some stress on everything out there, that could be a bad deal. So what are some of those pests that we might notice in the fall? Well, actually in the fall, uh, pests uh, as an insect uh, pests are not a big deal. That Most of them have completed their life cycle and they're not attacking trees right now, so spring is the best time to be looking for defoliators and bark beetles and things like that. Um, though um, you still, on, on your conifers, uh, especially the pines, you might be looking at the stems for uh, pitch tubes from that would indicate a, a late fall uh, bark beetle attack. So those pitch tubes will look like uh, pitchy blobs of popcorn stuck to the side of the tree. And one or two is not a big issue, but if you start seeing a dozen or more on the trees, then, then that is a concern. And it would be a time to check whether that tree is going to survive or not. Uh, if not, you'd want to remove it to remove the, the uh, brood source out of, out of uh, your windbreaker shelter belt. So in the fall, mainly I'm looking for drought effects on the trees. Uh, so are on your conifers, uh, are you seeing top by, dieback? Uh, are the needles uh, really thin so you don't have... Uh, three to four uh, years worth of needle cohort on there, but just one to two. So the trees are looking abnormally thin. This would still be a time when you could uh, apply some water to those trees to get them ready for winter, because if they go into winter drought stressed, then they'll freeze dry all winter long, and you can see some uh, 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 bigger problems develop by spring. One of the questions that we had come in this summer, Peter, was mites. Are mites a big issue? I know we've certainly seen some in our state of South Dakota. Is that a widespread problem? Oh, well, spider mites can be a problem on spruce trees. Uh, they can, they're probably pretty localized in areas. Uh, so if you see abnormal uh, needle yellowing and needle drop, particularly um, in the younger needles, so Every year, the trees will put on a, a new flush of needles right at the ends of the branch tips uh, where those buds uh, burst and produce new needles. Uh, the mites are usually at attacking um, or most uh, the symptoms are most prevalent on the second year needles. So, um, but when you see needles yellowing um, or falling off in June, um, that can be a problem with mites. But again, it's pretty localized. Uh, but spring is the time to hit them uh, with either a uh, dormant oil spray, uh, which really isn't toxic, it just drowns them, or an insecticide uh, like malathion or orthene or something like that that kills them outright. Any big challenges you're facing in Montana right now in trees? Oh, well, we had a pretty dry summer, hot and dry, so the low humidity and the high heat really sucked the moisture out of those trees. So we're seeing a lot of windbreaks and shelter belts that are extremely drought-stressed. Yeah, we're seeing that here in the Dakotas as well. Hopefully we've got a, a bunch of rain coming soon. I know we've caught a little bit here, but I, I hear a lot of folks talking about snow as well, that, man, we'll welcome any kind of moisture we can get. Is snow too late that, that it's not really going to help anything, or with that snow melting in the spring, is that soon enough to save things? Uh, it's usually a little too late because when the snow is coming down, it's not putting moisture into the soil. And so we like to see trees well hydrated going into winter uh, because, you know, especially in Montana, we'll get those uh, uh, spring Chinooks in January and February where it'll get up to 60 degrees. 
the trees will start losing a lot of water, but the root system's still frozen. So that's when we see what we call winter burn or wind burn on the windward side of the trees, especially the conifers. Uh, the needles will turn yellow or orange, um, and they'll drop those. And sometimes that side of the tree, the, the branches are killed on. So again, if if we can get water into the ground now anytime, uh, that would be really beneficial. Of course, you got to be careful if you have alkaline water. Uh, if you do water with that, you want to water deep. So uh, low amounts over long periods of time to get that water into deeper soil profiles. If you only uh, water shallow, then a lot of that water will evaporate and leave the salts and the alkaloids b uh, behind in the shallow soil, which is going to be detrimental to the trees. So uh, supplemental watering is good if you got good water. If you have bad water, then if you do water with that, make sure it's deep uh, so that all of the dissolved salts in that water don't end up on the soil surface. Talking with Peter Kolb here with Montana State University. Peter, thank you so much. Really appreciate the advice today, and hopefully we do catch some rain here before things freeze up this fall. Absolutely. All right, thanks. Uh, get another Pete down with us right now. It's Pete Bauman. Pete's with South Dakota State University. Pete, how are you doing? Good, how are you? Well, pretty good. Peter sounded like uh, he was he must have spent some time in South Dakota this summer about drought and some trees suffering because, boy, I'm sure what I've seen across our state, too. Yeah, yeah, we've been we've been dry early this summer, you know, here in the I'm in Coddington County, and we're kind of in a little bit of an oasis here, but the rest of the state's been pretty tough. Hey, one thing that I, I thought might be a little bit different to talk with you about is just, I know in our state, hunting is so important to, to so many people. And when we think about when we've got wildlife and, and we want to put a shelter belt out there uh, to, to provide some cover and, and also to, uh, um, to just help out with winter and, and survivability and all those things, what are some of the tips that you give to, to growers? Well, there's a lot of tips, and, you know, the, the first thing is um, start with some expertise. Um, start with somebody that knows knows trees, knows soils, knows um, how to coach you through putting in the right shelter belt. You know, it's, it's kind of like building anything else. Um, you can build it, you can scratch your way through it, or you can kind of really approach it with a kind of a scientific or methodology method that, um, that will give you long-term success. So it's really about goals and objectives. Um, you know, one of the things that we always talk about is avoiding, especially on the conservation side of things, is trying to avoid invasive species, if at all possible, uh, especially the, the exotics. Uh, things like Siberian elm, Russian olive, um, those, can, those can, over time, you know, become pretty weedy. Uh, they do have, you know, Russian olive itself has some wildlife benefit. But um, I think just doing your homework on, on the species that you're looking for and, um and really trying to match that to goals. Now, when you talk from a wildlife standpoint, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of native species that, you know, they don't get 50, 60 feet tall. They, they're in that, you know, 15, 20 foot range, yeah, fruit bearing, nut bearing type stuff. And, and I think a lot of people overlook those options. You know, we've, we've kind of gotten into this mindset of, um, you know, ash and cedar and kind of some of the simple um, things. And then we end up kind of paying the price. You know, cedar gets pretty invasive. Ash, you know, we've got emerald ash borer now in the state. Um, so I just really encourage people to work with their local conservationists. Um, you know, Game Fish and Parks has got some great um, resources for private lands, uh, as does NRCS. Uh, we've got John Ball at SDSU, who's just a, a, a wonderful person to consult on anything tree-related, of course, you know. 
Um, so I guess that's where I would say we start with. Um, yeah, there, there's a, a good message there about diversity of species as well. And I know when it comes to our crop production, we we talk about that a lot. Monocropping creates a, a lot of potential for challenges out there. And the same would be true when we're looking at trees and shelter belts. And I, I know Liz Smith was on a little bit earlier with North Dakota State University, and she had mentioned just trying to catch some snow and, and have it in a desirable place. And that's yeah. another thing, too. If we can catch some of that snow, that could be great heading into next year too we're talking with pete bauman here with south dakota state university pete thank you so much we really appreciate having you on look forward to talking to you again down the road all right thank you listening to ag phd radio we'll be right back are you combining around weed patches waiting for weeds to dry down or tired of spring burndown failures Save time, nutrients, and moisture by including a Valor herbicide brand in your fall burndown program. Valor provides excellent residual control of tough weeds, including kochia, mare's tail, prickly lettuce, dandelion, plus suppression of bromes. Proactive, effective weed resistance management starts in the fall. Get a clean start for your next season with Valor herbicide brands. Always read and follow label directions. Don't turn your fertilizer application plan into a guessing game. Understand exactly how much fertility you need to reach your yield goals with the AgPHD Fertilizer Removal App. Simply enter your crop and your yield goal and the AgPHD Fertilizer Removal App calculates the amount of nutrition needed to keep your crop healthy and working for you. Quit playing guessing games with your fertility needs. Download the AgPHD Fertilizer Removal App today. Available on the Apple App Store and in Google Play. Morton Buildings knows that great buildings need great people, and we want you to be the newest member of our team. Morton is expanding its construction crew, and we're seeking new and experienced candidates to fill our crew member positions. Morton provides great pay and training, so be a part of the next generation to build Morton. Don't let the opportunity to join the best construction crew in the business pass you by. Learn more on our careers page at mortonbuildings.com. When it comes to harvest, every kernel counts. And nothing captures more kernels than the new Drago GT or the proven Drago Series 2 corn heads. Both have automatic self-adjusting deck plates, and the new Drago GT features quad suspension deck plate ear shocks for even greater harvest efficiency. Nothing in the field captures more yield. For more information on Drago corn heads, go to dragotech.com. That's dragotec.com. Your schedule can change by the minute, making it hard to stay on top of the latest agronomy information. But at AgPHD, we have some good news for you. If you miss an episode of AgPHD TV or radio, you can catch up at agphd.com. With years of valuable content and latest episodes available to stream for free, you can continue building your agronomic knowledge on any schedule. While you're there, don't forget to check for upcoming AgPHD events and workshops. Watch, listen, and learn at agphd.com. No matter what time of the year it is on your farm, with a Bayer Plus Rewards program, earning and redeeming rewards are always in season. Because when you buy two or more eligible seed or crop protection products throughout the year, you earn $3 per acre in cashback rewards. Cash you can redeem and reinvest in your farm later in the season. That's Bayer Plus Rewards, and that's how we're helping make every part of your season, well, rewarding. Visit MyBayerPlus.com to learn more. See program terms and conditions for full details.
Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. I'm Brian Hefty, along with my brother Darren. We're live in the Morton studio. Today we're talking about shelter belts. I'll give you a couple other things that we have found over the years to be really beneficial. Number one is controlling mites. And I know in our crop grounds, especially in the northern part of the country, we don't deal with mites all the time, but we do seem to have a lot of mite issues out in trees. So we've gone to spraying products like acephate and capture or bifenthrin over the tops of our trees once or even twice per year. We also have been trying to kill other insects from time to time. So keep an eye out for bugs. In terms of disease, a lot of times when we're spraying insecticide, then we are also spraying fungicide. And I would just say you want to always be on the early side in terms of spraying a fungicide rather than on the late side. So what we typically do is have a plane or an uh, uh, have a helicopter come in and just spray right over the top once the trees get big. When the trees are small, then we can do that spraying ourselves if we wanted to. But on big trees, it is almost impossible unless you're going to have a plane or a helicopter come in. So usually what we do is have them spray like on a Saturday or Sunday when people are going to be gone, none of our employees are around or anything like that, and then it usually works out pretty well. In terms of weed control, you can certainly use like a weed and feed type product if you want to. I have been so excited though the last few years because of this new Freelix herbicide. That's the same thing as Enlist. Well, it's basically Enlist 1 without the extra uh, drifter retardant that's in Enlist 1. But anyway, the Freelex is new 2,4-D and it is fantastic in terms of reduced volatility. So we, when you go out and spray 2,4-D in a normal shelter belt, you drop a lot of the leaves off the trees because of the volatility. That doesn't seem to happen with this Freelex. So if you want to use 2,4-D, great. That is the best product in a lot of shelter belts, but I would just say, hey, probably switch over. It only costs a tiny little bit more. Just go over to Freelex and you'll be a lot happier. Also, when you're first getting a, a shelter belt established, you could certainly use something like Casseron or even Princep to kill a lot of the weeds in that shelter belt, especially if you want to kill everything. We've had a lot of people spray Roundup at first. That's all great. A lot of times we'll get a new shelter belt started. We'll try to have everything under control out there for the first three years. Then after that, we go in and we seed grass in between the rows. A lot of things you can do out in the shelter belt, but weeds are super important. You're going to have to be fighting those all the time. You're going to have to scout for insects and diseases. And then we talked about fertility earlier, or I had said, hey, potassium's number one, but you know what? There are a lot of other nutrients too. So feed the trees just like you would feed your crop and you will see those trees respond. They will get a lot thicker, a lot bigger. It will absolutely make a difference. And again, the big thing I want to stress here is usually we're talking one to five acre shelter belts. So even if you spend an incredible amount per acre on any of this stuff, it's not that many total dollars. And, and if you get that tree belt started, especially in the first five years, you are in such better shape later on. Now, the last thing that I want to throw out there that we haven't talked about, that I haven't talked about already, is water. So every time we set up a new shelter belt, we will have a way to get it watered. So the last shelter belt we did, we basically used drip tape. 
and had that set up so every tree could get watered. And you just never know when you're going to have a drought year. Like if it was 2018 and 2019 where we had record rainfall, it's probably not a big deal. But I'll tell you what, in some other years, like I think about 2012 or even this year, you just don't have a lot of rain. If you aren't familiar with this, I will just tell you that a lot of the really good weather forecasters, meteorologists, they will go out and they will evaluate old, old, old trees when they're getting cut down. And they'll go back to every year, and you can see it in the rings and the trees when the drought years actually were, if that tells you anything. So your trees absolutely will not do as well in a drought year unless you get them some water. So when Darren and I were growing up and one of the shelter belts our dad had put in, actually probably a couple of them, (laughs) it was our job every week with a, a pickup and a tank in the back, fill it up with water and go out and water all the trees. So we spent a lot of hours doing that. But you know what? Those trees that we watered 40 plus years ago, they're in fantastic shape today and man, they look good. So anyway, all these things pay off if you just put in the investment up front. All right, back to the Ag PhD mailbag. Tim from Kansas called, wondering about fall burndown herbicides and what we think of a product called Autumn Super. Well, Tim, I and I'll just be blunt, which usually I am. I was going to say, you don't even really need to say that, do you, Brian? <laughs> well, I kind of do because you never Might know. Be a first, if first time listener. Right, if it's newer listeners. So I'm not the most politically correct guy, so I can't ever run for politics. Let's put it that way. But... Autumn Super, I don't like, and here's why. It's two different ALS herbicides, Varro and Luxor. And they're both fine. They're they're bare products, but they're combined to form Autumn Super. But the trouble is they're ALS herbicides. So I just want you to think about the main problem weeds that everybody in the whole country talks about. So Tim's from Kansas, so I'm guessing he's dealing with Palmer pigweed, water hemp, kochia. Okay, those three weeds, guess what? All of them totally, I shouldn't say totally, almost entirely resistant to the ALS family. So the Autumn Super is a waste of money. We have other weeds out there that are resistant to ALS herbicides as well. So I just, I don't know why you would use it. I really don't. Now, Varro is a nice addition to Husky in Husky Complete. So by the way, Varro on its own and Luxor on its own, they're both wheat herbicides labeled for grass and some broadleaves. They also have long rotational restrictions to corn, nine months to corn. So if, let's say, for some reason you change your plan between now and spring and the corn price goes way up, or let's say miraculously the fertilizer price comes way down, you you go, oh boy, maybe I'll put some corn in there. Well, you can't do that if you used Autumn Super this fall. So we just don't really like it. What I would do instead is use something else that's for the crop you want to raise. Now, maybe you are going to wheat, and and that's fine, um, and you could certainly use this, but it's still not going to help you if you have these weeds that are resistant to ALS herbicides. So just pick some other modes of action depending on whatever crop you're going to. So that's why earlier in the show I was just saying, you know, if I'm going to soybeans, I'm using Valor and I'm using four ounces, not two, not three. I'm using four in the fall. So I get all the weeds under control this fall and all of them in the early spring in terms of the broadleaves. And then I I would also consider throwing in a high rate of either Banville or 2,4-D. So Dicamba or 2,4-D, depending on what crop I'm rotating to and that kind of thing, to burn down everything that's there and give me some more residual. 
But yeah, we have plenty of other choices out there. I just don't like the ALS herbicides as my only way. If it's part of something else, like I was saying in Husky Complete, as part of that program, fine. It's no big deal because you already have Husky in there. You have two other modes of action, and then you're throwing in an ALS, no big deal. Uh, so you've got a lot of choices. I just wouldn't pick that. I also, if I was going to corn, I don't like atrazine used in the fall as a burn down product when nothing is growing out there because I worry so much about groundwater contamination. So there are some reasons why we pick the products we do and we recommend the products we do and say, hey, don't use these other things. We're just hoping that you can avoid some of these issues where you might have a problem. So anyway, if it's me, no, I'm not, I'm not going to use Autumn Super. All right. Thanks for the question. Uh, got a comment that came in here. This came from Mariano. Said, uh, you guys are talking about fixing saline soils. Just wanted to let you know, really appreciate all the valuable knowledge that you're sharing in a professional and practical way. Hey, thanks, Mariano. There, there are so many challenges out there, and it may seem like, oh, this is only a problem in our area, but Brian and I have got a chance to travel around quite a bit, and many of the same issues that we're fighting here are being fought in other parts of the world, too. Yeah, but the great thing with the saline soils is you have a way to fix that, and it doesn't take that long. You just have to improve the drainage, and then you have to quit throwing so much salt out there. So a lot of times we'll see the saline problems when people use more manure than you should be using and they continue doing that year after year. You got to just at some point stop. It was the same thing with our dad who picked up this ground, bought it from our grandpa. Our grandpa way overdid it on a few acres on manure. As soon as our dad cut back, guess what? The ground got a lot more productive. We'll be right back with more Ag PhD after this. If you've ever wondered how the Farmall got its name, here's an abbreviated list of the jobs the Case IH Farmall can do. Baling, cutting hay, feeding, hauling, loading, pulling, raking, cleaning barn, mixing feed, fertilizing, mowing, chopping, seeding, clearing, irrigating, furrowing, cultivating, hitching, digging, emergency tow, harrowing, hoisting, leading parades, excavating, grading. <sighs> Let's make it simple. This tractor does it all. So no matter what you're doing, can do comes in red. Farmall. Learn more at caseih.com slash farmall. Ag PhD has one mission, to give you the knowledge you need to make your farm more successful. That's why every issue of the Ag PhD Insider Magazine features crop fertility and pest management tips, insights into the world's highest yielding farmers, updates and results from our in-field research trials, as well as the latest agronomy information from Brian and Darren Hefty. We put it all in one place so you can make your farm more productive and profitable. Subscribe to the Ag PhD Insider at agphdinsider.com. Each year brings new and unique challenges to farming, and your operation needs to constantly adapt to meet them. That's why at AgBiome, we're working every day to bring you new and better solutions, microbial-based solutions that protect your crop and help it reach its full potential. To learn more about how we're doing it, visit agbiome.com. That's A-G-B-I-O-M-E.com. AgBiome, feeding the world responsibly, partnering with microbes for human benefit. Did you know soybean diseases like white mold and sudden death syndrome can survive in your soil even after rotating crops? Prevention of these diseases is a constant battle and yield loss from an infection can be devastating. The right management plan makes all the difference. Keep your beans safe with Heads Up Seed Treatment. Heads Up guards your seed from both white mold and SDS. Stay protected and profitable by asking your seed dealer for Heads Up. Learn more at HeadsUpST.com. 
Every week for more than two decades, Ag PhD TV has provided agronomic information to make your farm more productive and profitable. In each episode, we discuss a wide range of topics covering everything from crop fertility, promoting soil health, improving the environment, pest control, and more, all designed to help you push your farm to higher yield goals and more profitability. Be sure to catch us on Tuesdays and Saturdays on RFD TV. Check your local listings or visit agphd.com to learn more. Precision crop nutrition pays. And AgroLiquid has precisely what it takes to help you succeed. The right products plus the right expertise to give you guidance based on your soils, your fields, and your goals. While our clean, seed-safe formulations and lower application rates make planter fertilizer easier than ever. AgroLiquid. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. listening to Ag PhD Radio and we're right in the middle of the Ag PhD mailbag time taking your calls and agronomic questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. You can also email us radio at agphd.com. Pretty tough email there to, to remember. And that's exactly what Matt did. Uh, he sent us a, a question, help with variable potassium needs. He said, first of all, guys, really like the show. Just bought some ground in far north Texas near the Red River. We've got a 50% floodplain along a small creek. It stays wet year-round. Now, the prior owner never sprayed for weeds, surprise, surprise, or limed or fertilized. He just let cows run on it, and it had taller weeds than we've seen until we shredded. Now, planning to do pre and maybe post in the spring, but my question here uh, to start with has to do with potassium fertilizer. We took soil samples, sent them in. Our pH in the bottoms generally in the 7.5 to 8.4 range. That soil is very sandy and damp when I took the samples from the shallow groundwater table. The soils in the higher flat plain, or flat pastures are loose and sandy, but the pHs are low in the 5.4 to 6 range. Now, the steeper areas in between the bottoms and tops is rough and hard and firm, uh, and it was in the 4.6 to 5.8 range. So we got a lot of, a lot of difference in lime wrecks. The potassium recommendation ranged from 15 to 150 pounds per acre all across the property. I'm wondering, what if we overapply in some of those areas? Don't know that we'll get down as low as 15 pounds in some. Um, if we put 150, for example, where we needed the 15, what would happen That's to no us? That's no problem. Yeah, I'm not that worried about it. Here's here's the challenge that you've got. It's light well, soil. Yeah, I'm curious how light that sand is. I'm curious how light the sand is. And yeah, your right. base saturation would probably be, who knows, maybe it'd be 20% in those areas. If you grow a good crop, you're going to well, suck it right back up. Not at 150, uh, is all he's talking. You know, okay, so this morning I was doing some training with agronomists. And an agronomist asked, in heavy soil, he said, in my area, guys say that they're putting on a lot and they should be building, but it's not really building in the soil. And I said, look, what do they think is a lot? Because I ran through some numbers and I go, with your big corn yields and bean yields, you're sucking it all out. And I said, a lot of us, we, we start thinking about the old days. We think about our dads and our grandpas. Like our dad used to say, oh, hundred, hundred was this enormous build program on our farm. Oh, I'm building my soil because I did oh, hundred, hundred. And I'm like, oh, hundred, hundred, that doesn't even feed my one crop anymore, hardly, let alone a two-year cycle. So anyway, a lot of these things get 
can get off fast. But just understand, if you're going to raise a big crop, it needs a lot of potassium. But like I say, the problem is you got sand, you've got high water table, and you've got a lot of rain. So because of that, you're going to have to split apply your potassium. And I, we don't have to in our geography, but you do. So, I, I mean... And it's fine if you want to put out 150 pounds in some of these areas. If you overdo it a little bit, it's probably not a big deal. It might even help because we find chronically people are not getting enough potassium out there. But I would say a mid-season application of potassium very well could help you. And if you don't believe that it's going to help you, at least run a soil test mid-season and see what's still sitting there because my assumption is a bunch is going to get used and a bunch is going to get flushed out. So keep hammering that potassium. It's just you probably have to do it a couple times a year. All right. Thanks for the question. Uh, I got this one in from another, well, let's take a weed control one. This one is from David in Minnesota. He said, what can I do in my garden regarding black nightshade as I try to pull them, berries are falling off. I know there's going to be a problem next year. I'm not opposed to, to chemicals. We don't farm organically. We do use mechanical tillage to try to minimize weed pressure. But I'm noticing uh, a lot of seeds out there on this black nightshade. Anything you would recommend? What crops in the garden? Well, he doesn't say, and that's that's the question, that's the David. Trouble. Is is what you got? Because uh, I'll, I'll give you a couple of, or I'll give you a few active ingredients you could look for in weed control products. Uh, you could use something that like preen that has trifluralin in it, but trifluralin is not the greatest not on gonna, black nightshade. No. Nope. No, nope, not going to stop your nightshade. A little bit better would be metolachlor, which is the active ingredient in dual. Absolutely. It'd be a lot that, better. That would be a pretty good choice for quite a few different crops. And that those two are soil residual herbicides. As far as post-emerge herbicides, I know there are a number of folks that use halosulfuron in various vegetable crops, but it's not labeled in all crops. And That's oh, not going to be that great on... I should have mentioned one, one more pre-emerge that does get labeled in some of the veg crops is flumioxazin, which is the active ingredient in Valor. And that would be better than the trifluralin. Uh, both no, that's not going to do much for you on nightshade, though. So, you, I mean, the other one I was thinking of post-emerge would be bromoxanil, so like buctrol, old buctrol. It's not labeled on that many crops, but anyway, uh, that that is an option. There are also some of the HPPD herbicides, so like mesotriones, yeah, HPPDs, but HPPDs not labeled on very many. No, and, and of course you could use something like acephlorophen, which would be blazer. I know there are some crops that's labeled on, but that's going to yep. put some burn on those broadleaf crops that you got out So there. here's what we're saying. We have no idea what to recommend to you because we don't know what crops you have. So if you want to let us know what crops you have, then we could help you a little bit. But let's say you have a diversity. you got grass crops like corn. You've got broadleaf crops like beans or peas. And you got these all kind of mixed together and stuff it's going to be really hard for us to find something because of the diversity of crops that can get used on all of those and is still going to get the black nightshade. I would just, I'd go so far as to say, I can't recommend anything to you in that case. So if you only have one or two vegetable crops or you have them in very distinct areas, then maybe in those areas we can help you. But yeah, otherwise you're basically left with pulling them. And by the way, that's what Darren and I did when we were growing up. Pulled them for quite a while, then we sprayed Roundup on a bunch. Uh, but now I'm sure you're seeing Roundup is not going to be labeled for a lot of home and garden type use. It's just going to be labeled for us commercial applicators or private pesticide applicators on the farm. 
All right. Thanks for the question. Uh, I get this one from Scott in Wyoming, and he's got some pasture, and he's raising some beef cattle, and he's wondering about pennycress. He said, we killed some pennycress out in the pasture, and it's decaying out there dry. Just wondering, if, is it okay for the cattle to graze on the pasture again? Are they going to have any issues if they eat that pennycress that's dying off? You know, pennycress is interesting because it has kind of a garlicky uh flavor to it. And I know when I was doing dairy judging way back when I was in high school in FFA, if if a pasture got some pennycress in it or the hay that, that the dairy cattle were eating, you could taste a garlicky taste all the way through into the milk. And right now, um, I know Bear has been working on some cover crops that that are offshoots from pennycress. And that was one of but the pennycress, things. Pennycress, it can were, cause poisoning in cattle. So yeah, no, yeah. you don't want them to eat it. No, but if it's dead and dried down, are we done with that toxicity? I'm not certain about that. Well, it's got to be starting to decay. So if you just got it controlled three weeks ago, that's, in my opinion, not going to be good enough. It's I would been a few months. It. It's been a few oh, months. a few months, then I'd be, I, I wouldn't worry about it at that point. Yeah, I'd be pretty confident too, and I don't think the cattle would eat that. But you could certainly watch them and, and just see. this is a great lesson for all of us in that we need to control weeds as early as possible before there get to be very many out there, then we don't have a lot of issue because the dose always makes the poison. So if I got three pennycress plants in my whole pasture, no big deal. If I have three million out there, I got a massive problem and I should never have cattle out there until they're all controlled and they're completely dead and decayed. Right. The other thing, too, is back to that cover crop discussion. If you're going to be grazing out in some cover crops, make sure you know what's in the mixes that you've got, that that everything's going to be safe and good. Okay, I uh, got this one from Adam, and he said he's in West Central Iowa. said, the last couple of years, I've started adding 100 pounds of ammonium sulfate to my dry fertilizer program for corn. Yep. But I'm wondering, what if I spread my dry this fall? Could I still leave the AMS in there? Yes. Or should I make another pass in the spring? No, just do it in the fall. That's what we're doing. I can't remember what we decided on 100, or I think we might have decided on 200 pounds on all our ground that's going to corn, and we're doing that all this yeah, fall. Play There's with, no problem. Play with the do rates it relatively a bit. late. Do it relatively late in the fall. Well, you can say play with rates, well, here's, but just here's use, the thing. use your common sense if, and if say, you're just, do I need the sulfur and do I need the nitrogen? I, I know you need the N. It's I, everybody's just everybody's the looking at the N, and to me, I, I think that sulfur is a big key. And the, in a lot of the studies that I've seen, a lot of the farmers I've talked to doing some trial work on their farms, they've benefited from adding a little more sulfur. Now, maybe you've got sulfur coming in other ways on your farm, but if the only sulfur you're getting is from that 100 pounds of ammonium sulfate and you're going to get, what, 24 pounds of sulfur, yeah, it's, not, it's enough. not enough. So just watch that on your farm. If that's it, uh, you better up your game just a little bit or find another way to get the sulfur out there you know, at some other point in your fertility program. So I'm not sure what, what other dry fertilizer you're mixing with and what you're doing with, uh, you know, side by uh, two by two or, or in-furrow or anything. You don't want to put a lot of sulfur in-furrow, but I don't know what the rest of your program is, but that's something to, to watch because the sulfur is going to be a big, big deal. Hey, thanks for the question, Adam. Really appreciate that. Thanks to you for listening today. We had a lot of questions around shelter belt management, and I think the biggest takeaway I had today was drought conditions. If you've got only a few trees around, make sure you're watering them deep this fall. Thanks for listening to today's program. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.